Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O God, that we are not a people that are left to our own thoughts and our own devices and our own ways of doing things. But we thank you, O God, that you are God that reveals yourself to your people. And we are a people, God, that do forget very easily. But we thank you that you have given us your word and you speak that to us week after week after week after week. I pray, O Lord, that today as I speak, that it would not be my words, but it would be your words. I pray, Lord, that you would give us as your people ears to hear. I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that that some are tired. Lord, that it's been a busy week for many, that there are many things that would seek to distract us. But Lord, we pray that you would put Satan at bay. Lord, that you would strengthen our weak bodies, that you would work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to to hear the, the words that come from you. Oh Lord, may you do your work in our midst to glorify your name and to build up your body and to further your kingdom. We thank you and pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I know as a church that we desire and we even pray that we would be a church that would not only be hearers of the word of God, but doers. In other words, that we wouldn't just say that we believe something, but we would actually do it. And that's good. But I'm here to say it's not always pleasant. Sometimes it can be very challenging as we're living out God's word. And I know last week after I preached uh, on godly contentment, uh, Monday was nothing but one opportunity after another and another and another to challenge the contentment of my own heart. Uh, It was a very uh, difficult day in many ways. And even as I spent time throughout the week in God's word, reading and and really reflecting on what the Holy Spirit was saying through his word, I was just continually impressed. It was impressed upon me how strongly the world and and Satan and, and even our own flesh. You know, the problem with our flesh is, guys, we take it everywhere. We never leave it behind. It's with us at all times, you know, but but those things are always wooing us to think and act like the world. And that oftentimes that our actions and our decisions, our values and the ways that, that we look at the world are unfortunately sometimes not so much different than the way that even our unbelieving neighbors look at things. And it's in the midst of of that that. I find it that it's so easy to be captured by the things of the world and to forget Christ and to forget his love and his mercy and his presence. And sometimes even as we go throughout our day, you know, Christ and who he is and what he has done for us almost becomes like that dream that you have at night where you wake up in the morning and you think, I know I dreamed something and it was something really that impressed me. But if somebody asks you about it, you just can't remember the details. It's almost like just a, a distant memory. And sometimes that what Christ is like. And I know for me, that has just been so much in my heart. And as I was preparing Psalm 100 to, to give you just this, probably the most awesome of awesome Thanksgiving sermons, um, I just could not shake the fact that maybe we need to continue to look at this topic of contentment that we started to look at last week. So kids, if you're writing down on your sheet the title of the sermon, it's not cultivating Thanksgiving, but we're going to be looking at godly contentment. You can call it part two or version 2.0. 
know. I don't care. Whatever you want to call it. But we're going to look at that topic of godly contentment again. Because last week we looked at Philippians chapter 4 and we saw the secret of contentment is really knowing and loving Christ. You know, Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that there's that sense of contentment that we can have because of who we are in Christ. But also sort of associated with that, sort of, if you want to say, sort of the the other side of the coin that's sort of related to that is sort of a sense of detachment from the world. That as we love Christ, we're going to find ourselves being less and less detached to the world. It's not so much that we can somehow detach ourselves from the world. I'm not asking us to return to the days of the monasteries and the monks and, you know, forsake those kind of things. But there is a sense in which if we love Christ, there's a sense in which we will love the world less. But I think it's really good for us from time to time to stop and to reflect upon our lives to say, you know, do I love the world more than what God has called me to love the world? So today I want to look at these two topics again and really sort of unpack them a little bit more, look at them in a little more depth. So first of all, just knowing and loving Christ. What what does that involve? Well, that's where I want us to look at Psalm 131. And, And in this, David, the psalmist, gives us a very vivid description of what it means to learn contentment. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, we talked about how contentment is not something that we just have as Christians. We're not just automatically content when we become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I have learned to be content in all things, that it's something that comes over time. It's something that really is the fruit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we know him more, as we rest in him more, as we trust in him, we have that sense of contentment. And so here the the psalmist really gives us this vivid description of what it means to learn contentment. And he portrays his experience in terms of a a child being weaned from the diet of milk to that of solid food. And so uh, let me read again Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord for from this time forth and forevermore. Now, to, to picture the scene that he's talking about here, about a weaned child, we have to understand that in, in the Old Testament times, they would wean their children a little bit longer than we do. Um, that, you know, oftentimes we get our kids on uh, table food pretty quickly. But in Israel, sometimes mothers would be weaning their children at three and four years of age. Now, moms, can you imagine that? I mean, you, you think now about holding that little baby and nursing that baby and sometimes what a challenge it is when that baby is squirming and 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 everything else and maybe not getting enough and trying to get more and just sometimes the battle you can have now imagine doing that with a four-year-old that has teeth you know that can be quite a challenge but that's was the measure of the struggle that David went through before he learned that sense of of contentment but what was the struggle that David was having well David helps us by suggesting the two great issues that needed to be settled in his own life and that I think oftentimes have to be settled in our lives as well. First of all, there's a sense of having a holy ambition for the Lord. Uh, Look at the beginning of verse one. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
Now, ambition in and of itself is is not always wrong. I mean, we talked about in our men's study about the use of ambition in the Bible and and how you don't see it used in the same way that we use it. But if it is a holy ambition, it's not bad in and of itself. You know, David actually had been set apart uh, to be king of Israel. We see that in 1 Samuel 16, where God had promised him, you are going to be the king of Israel. But but David had a higher ambition than just being the ruler over Israel. He had an ambition to trust God's wise uh, providing for his life. He trusted that God would put him in the right place and that the right timing of his life was in the hands of the Lord. And so while David knew that God had given him that position, he wasn't anxious to go and to take that. He could have many different times on many different occasions. There were times when Saul, who was the current king, came into the very cave where David was. And David was even able to clip off a a piece of his garment, you know, show Saul that I could have killed you, but I didn't. Another time, David and one of his men crept into Saul's tent and found him asleep, you know, and he could have killed him then as well. But David knew that if he did so, He would have raised his hand against the Lord's anointed and he knew that that would be dishonoring to the Lord. And so while he was not only desirous to be king and was promised to be king, that was not his ambition and his drive. He had a greater ambition and that was to trust the Lord, his God, and to find his satisfaction in him. And really, Christian contentment is that direct fruit of having no higher ambition than belonging to the Lord. That's really the ambition that really brings about contentment, is to know that God, that Jesus Christ, is our everything, that He is our life. That if our houses were taken away from us, even if our families were taken away from us, if we were left even by ourselves, that we could take delight in the Lord. Does this not sound familiar? Is that not the experience of Job? As God revealed himself to Job, that Job lost not only all of his children and every bit of his possessions, but also uh, God allowed Satan to bring about harm even to his own body, not to destroy his body, but to give him sickness to where he was scraping the boils and he was going through constant suffering. And it wasn't like Job just went through the suffering one day on Monday and then on Tuesday everything was okay. This was an agony that went on and on, the suffering that went on and on and on. But it was in that time that uh, that Job still turned to the Lord. Now, we know that through that book there were many challenges for Job because God revealed himself in a way that even sort of challenged Job's way of thinking about God. But God gives us that sense of ambition to belong, that we belong to him. And then to, to totally then put our lives in his hands, understanding that the things that occur come from his hands, that the timing of those things come from his hands, and that the provisions that we have come from him. It was uh, Robert Murray McShane who wrote, he said, it has always been my aim and it is my prayer to have no plans with regard to myself. His focus was upon the Lord. He was a very godly man. Uh, He died at the age of 29, very young, but he was a man who gave himself totally to the Lord to serve him. 
And now we might think of that as very unusual. But if you look at people, what they said about McShane, they talked about how content he was in his life. And he was uh, his focus was to know Christ and to know him only, as Paul says in Philippians 3.10. And so it, it is not an accident when we make Christian ambition, we discover that we have that sufficiency in Christ. Um, but then also we see in Psalm 131, in the second part of verse 1, he talks about, uh, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Contentment is also the fruit of a mindset that understands its limitations. You know, David didn't allow himself to be preoccupied with what God was not pleased to give him. You know, sometimes God doesn't give us those things that we want and our hearts may be set upon certain things. And if our focus is upon those things, I want to have that. You know, Black Friday's coming up. I want to have a bigger TV. You know, I want to get uh, just an awesome stereo or I need a new pair of shoes or, you know, I would just love to sort of replace this or old wardrobe that I have and, and get a nicer wardrobe. If we set our things upon the things that we desire, we find ourselves oftentimes enslaved. But David didn't do that. He didn't give himself to that. He trusted that if the Lord wanted him to have those things, God would have provided those things. But neither did David allow his mind to become fixed on the things that God was not pleased to explain to him either. Sometimes God takes us through circumstances that are way difficult, things that we don't understand. Sometimes there is suffering that occurs in life, but sometimes it's not great suffering like what Job went through. Sometimes it's just God saying, wait. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but to me, it's almost easier if God says yes or no. But when he says, wait, that can be torture, you know, because you're like, OK, Lord. OK, Lord. And there's just a sense of having to abide in him and trust in him through uncertainties of life. But if we give ourselves to these things, it sort of suffocates that sense of contentment. If I insist on knowing exactly what God is doing and what he plans to do in my future, if I demand to understand his ways with me in the past, I, I will never be content until I become equal with God, until I know what God knows. Of course, he's too gracious to let me know those things. But how slow we are to recognize in these subtle mental temptations, the echo of the the words of the serpent to Eve in the Garden of Eden, where she said, is God good? Is God good? You know, um, you could just imagine Satan telling Eve to express your dissatisfaction with God's ways, God's words, God's provision. Take what he has forbidden. He doesn't really love you, so take it. Take it now while you have a chance. Now, Scripture doesn't say that Satan actually said those things. But, you know, sometimes those things can be the things that fill our minds and our hearts. You know, and I know that uh, in the uh, in Augustine's tradition, you know, that the sin, uh, the first sin was pride. But it was more complex than that, I think, and it included even discontentment. A discontented spirit is both the fruit and the evidence of an ungodly heart. So, you know, there is a sense in which 
we give ourselves to the Lord a holy ambition, but also not to be preoccupied with things that are way above us, things that we need to trust the Lord. And, and I oftentimes think that we do get dissatisfied with those things because we set our hearts upon the things of this world. Not only is there a sense in which we must love God, but there is that sense in which we must not be too attached to the world. And yet, I think how often we live our lives in, um, or, or how often do we live our lives in view of eternity and the things that are coming. I think it's truly surprising that the human heart is so uh, impressed, so little with the nearness of eternity that we oftentimes don't think of that. We, you know, we are constantly walking on the very borders of the invisible world of eternity where things are unchangeable. Once we die in this earth and we go to our eternal destiny, that is our destiny forever, folks. There will never be another death that will, will have another chance to go from hell or to heaven or from heaven to hell we will be there forever. For the believer, that is good news. For those that will spend eternity apart from God, that should cause them great grief. And yet we oftentimes live our lives as if there will be no end to this earth, as if we will live forever. Or if we don't really think that we're going to live forever, at least the end won't come for quite a while yet. And so we have plenty of time. And so we find ourselves so often attaching ourselves to the things of this world. I was talking with my son, Tim, this week, and I, and I said, you know, isn't it interesting, you know, and wouldn't it be an interesting exercise to look at your life and see what you do in your daily schedule that when you die and go to heaven, go from this earth to the next, will just disappear, will just go away. The things that we set our hearts on, the things we spend our time in, all those things, what really will last when we go from this world to the next? And I think if we really took the time on this Lord's Day to sit down and to think about those things, we may be very surprised that our hearts are much more entangled and much more tied into this earth. And so, you know, as we think about this, I think about those things that oftentimes um, sort of drag us down and to take our focus away from the Lord. And I want us to look at another passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. This is actually a, a part of the parable of the sower. And I, I know that Christ is talking about the different kinds of uh, hearts that hear the gospel and to receive it. But I do think that there is another sense, too, as well, in which these things can even seek to choke out uh, the word of God that is in our hearts. You see, we live in this world and it's almost like there, you remember, uh, I think it's Homer's Odyssey where there's the sirens, where the sailors come in and the sirens are singing their, their songs and the sailors don't realize that they're going to destruction. They're just sort of numb to their surroundings. And in many ways, even as we walk upon this earth, the world and the devil and the flesh are the sirens. And they are singing the songs. And we oftentimes lose our bearing as to where we really are in light of eternity. Well, praise be to God as his children. We're not left alone. You know, praise be to God that he is a God who reveals himself. So while we're in the stupor of these sirens that are singing these beautiful songs and distracting us, 
God is faithful to bring the word of God into our lives every day, whether it be through the preaching of the word like here this morning or whether it be in our times with family worship and we op- as we open the word of God or even individually as we spend time reading God's word and praying, the spirit of God takes us out of that stupor and helps us to see life as it truly is in light of eternity and, and to guard and to guard our hearts, you know, from that. Well, you know, uh, but there are things in this life that sort of choke that voice of the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that the word of the Lord is somehow ineffective, that the world is greater than the word of God or the spirit of God. I'm not suggesting that. But there are things that do seem to choke out the word of God, as we even see from this parable. Let me just read Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus says, and as for and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. So the things that oftentimes will will choke out the word of God, even in our lives, is is cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And I just want to look at these really quickly. First of all, the cares of this life. These, these are things that we become very anxious about. These are things that, that concern us. You know, it could be something as simple as a roof that's leaking on your house and it becomes a concern of yours and maybe you don't have the money to be able to fix that. But it may be uh, events that occur. I'm really concerned because my mother's going to come visit or my mother-in-law is going to come visit. And I don't know how she's going to to perceive my house and how I care for her son and and things and how she's going to judge me. And there's things that might cause us to worry. Those cares of the world or those things that we worry about that oftentimes never even happen, that they're really just in our minds. And when we start dwelling on the cares of life, we're basically sowing those tares and thorns which will destroy all the strength and the fruitfulness of the gospel seed that's been planted in our hearts. And so the work of faith um, does acknowledge these cares. I'm not saying don't just stop thinking about these things. The cares of this life are very are very real and they're very true. But for the believer, for that person that walks in faith, they understand that God did not create us to be strong enough to carry those worries and those cares. That instead that he has promised to carry our burdens. L- listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, these brothers, I, sisters, I want you to understand this is the privilege of the Christian. These words here, you know, Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Or Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You know, we live in a world that's constantly changing and it's full of agitations and and unrest. And how privileged we are to be able to say like David in Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. God is the one in whom we take rest in the midst of the cares of this life that oftentimes can throw us off our game. As Proverbs 19:21 uh, uh, says, you know, even if we think that we can plan out everything in our lives, um, 
it doesn't always turn out the way we want. Proverbs says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So we can think that we can deal with the cares of our life, but that's not necessarily true. It is only that which is part of God's purpose that will be carried out. And that's why we take great comfort in the words like Psalm or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Brothers and sisters, how affectionate is God's invitation to his children uh, to come to him? He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But those who are worldly minded, the cares of this life are very annoying and very irritating. Adversity or hardships are oftentimes viewed as something that gets into the way of true happiness. And oftentimes even poverty is seen as something that's incredibly evil. But if we do not have faith in Christ, if we do not exercise that faith in Christ, maybe we're his child, but we're not trusting him in the midst of the cares of this life. And if so, we will become uh, overwhelmed by our circumstances and even consumed by it. Because sometimes I think we think we're capable to handle it, where we find out that in oftentimes we're not. That, you know, even if we seek to deal with the circumstances of our lives and the best knowledge we know how, we're just going to spend the rest of our life doing that. We're just going to be trying to figure it out and trying to figure out and trying to figure out. And we're just going to wear ourselves out rather than sitting back and trusting the Lord and praying and seeking for him to help. I think about as a kid, kids, you guys have heard a lot of the stories in Sunday school about the Old Testament, about Joshua and Moses and the things that occurred. And I think about the number of things in the Old Testament that if God had not been in the picture, how would have mankind sought to try to remedy those things? It would have looked much different. And it is amazing the number of times in the Old Testament that God is the one that actually did the work. That in the walls of Jericho, who knocked the walls down, kids? Was it Joshua? No. no, it was God, wasn't it? The walls fell outward, not inward, like an army knocked them down. They fell outward because God is the one that did the work. And I really wonder, even for us, and how much do we wrestle and do we struggle with the cares of this life because we are trying to do the things and resolve the things that are there rather than taking these things to our Lord and our Savior and trusting Him. Well, the second thing that we that oftentimes uh, we wrestle with are the riches of life. For, for most, riches and wealth are the most coveted in all the world. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting because riches cannot bring us true happiness. Um, it, it can't promote health. It can't promote a long life. There are many rich people who have died early in, in their life. There's, there's many things that riches can't do. And yet it is amazing to see what we will do, especially in our country, in America, to do what we can to promote um, uh, more wealth in our life. You know, we'll sacrifice oftentimes many things to obtain riches and we'll even be willing to risk the things that are good for our soul so that we might put a few more bucks in our pocket and give us that. Now, why would we do that? You know, why, 
Why would we? If riches cannot provide all these things, and especially things that are eternal, then why would we pursue it so much? I think oftentimes that riches are one of those things that gives us independence. The more that we have, the less we are reliant or have to trust upon other people, including God himself. And if I just have a little bit more uh, um, room in my budget, if I just have a little bit more income, then I can do the things that I want to do and I can fulfill my desires and I can do the things that I want. And I don't have to trust the Lord. I don't have to come to him. I don't have to be dependent. Oftentimes that sense of being dependent upon our God even is a very difficult thing for us. And oftentimes to be seen as a thing to be avoided. But the scriptures tell us, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or many sorrows. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Now, you know, it's not just a sense of riches, because I think, how many people in this room would consider themselves rich? Probably not many, maybe one or two, I don't know, but not many would consider themselves rich. You're like, I'm just trying to have a comfortable life. But, you know, I think it's interesting that he doesn't just talk about, he talks about the love of money. He doesn't talk uh, just about riches. Um, Jesus picks up this theme as well in Luke 12, 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, notice several things. You know, what he talks about and what he warns us about is covetousness, is that desire for more. You know, so you could be a person who does not have a lot. You can be a person who's just seeking to live a comfortable life. You can be a person who's not rich and yet have a very covetous heart. To be a person that just has to have more, that just has to have a bigger one, that just has to have a newer one, whatever it might be, whether it be a dress or shoes or a TV or a house or a car or whatever it might be. You know, we just have to have that better. And he even speaks and he warns us here about the abundance of possessions. Now, as I was thinking about the abundance of possessions, I was thinking about how many of us have abundance of possessions. How many of us have closets right now at home that we just know we need to clean out or storage places in our basement or in our garages or wherever where we just know that there are things that are in there that we have not used for years and probably never will use. And we're dreading the fact that we're having to go and to clean those things out. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Brothers and sisters, our, I think our closets and our storage spaces stand packed full as a witness to the covetousness of our hearts. But blessed be to God, he loves us so much that in this passage, he tells us twice, he gives us a caution, take guard and be on, or take care and be on your guard. You know, Paul 
is uh, telling us to keep our life free from the love of money and be content with what you have in Hebrews 13, 5. So wealth in and of itself is not bad. There are many that are wealthy and very rich, but there is a sense in which the riches of this life can be as, as Jesus calls it in Matthew 13, 22. He's, he's, uh, it's sort of Matthew's version of this parable of the sower. He calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Not just the riches of this life, but the deceitfulness of riches. Because riches can look so good, and yet they can deceive us to be in bondage to the very things that we're wanting to buy. But praise be to God, that's not where our riches are. That's not where our riches are. But we do need to be careful that we don't um, fall into the same trap. And as we read uh, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, that there were those who even fell away from the faith because their focus became more upon wealth and upon money than it did the Lord. So this is something that we even as Christians need to be very careful of and to understand that as riches increase, that often so is the temptation uh, to forget the Lord Jesus Christ, that worldly prosperity is almost always followed by spiritual decline. And we need to guard ourselves against such things. And then finally, the pleasures of life. People, I think, just naturally have a natural thirst for happiness. And that's not wrong. But the problem comes in, I said, after the fall, that humanity uh, has its appetites corrupted. You know, where mankind was created to find pleasure in God first and in him alone uh, he, because of the sin of humanity, uh, we now are continually seeking from the world that which only is to be found in God. And so the fallenness of mankind becomes like Cain, who sort of becomes a fugitive. He's ever fleeing from the presence of his creator, who is the source and the center of his true happiness. And the Bible even talks about two evils in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, Jeremiah 2, 13 Jeremiah says to the Israelites, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, kids, a cistern is like a water tank, okay? And what he's saying there is that there is this fountain of living water. Now, have you guys seen fountains? That's where the water flows up, right? You know, and there's this fountain and we know from the New Testament that that fountain of living water is Jesus Christ himself. You know, that that God's people sometimes forsake even the fountain of new life to seek after water tanks that have holes in them and they can't even hold water. And what they're trying to say is, is that, you know, we can seek to fulfill the pleasures of this life and to somehow find pleasures by following our desires and fulfilling our desires. But they're like those empty water tanks. We're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to be filled. It's only in Christ. You know, I think it's interesting that there was a commercial years ago, and I won't mention the product, but their slogan was, obey your thirst. Obey your thirst. And I think that's very telling you know, the problem is, is that what they were wanting you to do is to use their product to fulfill your thirst. But we ought to seek to fulfill, to receive pleasure. We ought to seek as Christians to fulfill our thirst. But that comes only 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think uh, as we look at our lives, I think it's good even for Christians to examine themselves and say, what, is, what am I seeking after? What am I looking for, for pleasure and for satisfaction? Is it a sense, you know, sometimes some can give themselves to sensual pleasures, which we know are, are contrary to God's will. But there are times even when things that are not uh, inherently wrong can become um, unbeneficial, non-beneficial, whatever. They're not good, you know, because we give ourselves too much to these things. And it might be things like hanging out with friends. It might be things like uh, spending uh, an, an innate amount of, or a bunch of time uh, on our hobbies or doing things like that. I think about how many times I hear Christians say, you know, I don't have time to spend time in God's word. I'll ask myself, how, you know, what's the Lord teaching you? What are you reading now in God's word? And they're like, yeah, you know, things are sort of busy right now. I don't really have time to do that. And yet, you know, the thing that I see as a pastor, that if something comes up, a friend says, hey, we're going to go down to Pizza Hut and grab a pizza and talk. You want to go? They seem to always have time, you know, and unfortunately, Brothers and sisters, it's not just they, it is me, you know, so am I, that it is interesting. We always have time for those things that our heart desires, those things that we seek to find pleasure in, you know, and and God doesn't uh, he has created this world and we are to enjoy this world. But if those things are the ultimate place that we are seeking to find pleasure, we will never find contentment. But God has created things for us to find pleasure in communion with God in Christ, the enjoyment of the fact that we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, even visiting the sick or relieving the poor or consoling someone who's in trouble, um, maybe even restoring a backslider. You know, building a relationship with someone who's walked away from the church and spending time with them and praying for them and reaching out to them. You know, it's interesting in all these things, though, I don't become the focus. You know, it's not just pleasing me, but it is also goes back to that holy ambition that what my desire is, is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, then what he does is, is as we find our delight in him, then our worldly delights become more balanced. They become a sense in which we do things appropriately. Now, let me go back to last Monday. As I was encountering the situations that, I, that were happening in my life, and I'm not going to give you details, they seem very overwhelming. And, and I wish I could say I was real spiritual, and as I was pontificating these difficulties in my life and the cares of my life, the first Timothy 6, 6 came to mind. And I thought, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And I just threw off my cares and everything was fine. But brothers and sisters, that's not what happened. I wrestled. I struggled with these things. But God was faithful. God was loving and patient and gentle. And as Monday gave way to Tuesday, uh, the seeds of God's word began to take root in my heart and my eyes were open that the things of this world, the cares of this world were things that were only temporary. They were passing away. 
and that I didn't have to care for these things, that my heavenly father was the one who would carry my burden. I was reminded of my ultimate ambition to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I sought him and I prayed and I read God's word and I waited. But guess what? The anxious thoughts continued to come. The difficulties continued to come. The temptations to worry and to wonder continued to come. But because my eyes were upon Christ, figuratively sort of, I could lay my head upon his chest and know that everything was okay as he held me. And I waited in the midst of those things. And then eventually uh, I realized that those things that could have choked my faith, those things that were tempting me, were actually driving me closer to Jesus Christ. And it was in him that I could rest. It was in him in which the worry of my life gave way to more of a sense of contentment. And I realized I was learning to be content, that God was faithful in what he was doing. As I, as I stood and I waited upon his promises, well, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world will never give such peace and contentment. How bland even are the, the boasted pleasures of this world when compared to the, the soul-reviving delight of being with God and, and in his mercy. And so Jesus calls us to come to him today to rest, to make Jesus our pearl of great price. I shouldn't say to make him the pearl of great price, to understand that he is the pearl of great price, to delight ourselves in him and to understand that he will give us the desires of our heart when he is that desire. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word that you've given us this day. Lord, we thank you that you have given us um, a sense of, of um, what it means to rest in you. But Lord, um, we know that to know these things is one thing. It's another thing to meditate and to dwell and to pray that you would bring these things into our lives, bring them closer to us. So Lord, now as we just spend a few minutes meditating upon this word, we pray that your spirit would help us to understand this word. Father, we do thank you that you are faithful. The Lord, while the, the, the music of the sirens of this world are singing all around us, where God, it, 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 it seems like we could get caught in the trap that the sailors did in the book of Odyssey. The Lord, you are faithful. And God, you would never leave us there, but you are our Savior who has taken that which you have begun in us and you have promised that you will complete it even, Lord, to the point where we will spend eternity with you. Lord, please, though, we ask that you would work in our hearts to love you more dearly. Lord, that you would be the focus of our lives. That as we think about Christ this week, that he would not be a, a distant dream. 
but instead you would be the forefront of our thinking, that we would think about our lives, Lord, in light of eternity and not just the things of this world. We praise and thank you, O God, for such great grace. We have not done anything to deserve this, but we praise and thank you for all that you have done to give us what we need in Christ and the blessings that we have received and our yes in him only. We thank you and pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and let's uh, close our singing with singing in Christ alone. It is in him only that we truly find our satisfaction and contentment.